All the girls drink. It's just that I'm the one that gets caught. Story of my life. I always get the fuzzy end of the lollipop. That's kind of gross. Wait, what does that even mean? Fuzzy, it like fuzzy end of the lollipop. <laughs> it doesn't. Is really it like mean anything, in your pocket it? and it's got a bunch of dust on it? What does that even it's mean? It's like someone else sucked off all the sweet stuff, and all you get is the the stick. That's kind of yeah. fuzzy because someone else has been sucking on it. All right, very evocative, if nothing else. Yeah. Hmm. But also, how long have lollipops been around? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like how long have lollipops been a candy? Around since at least 1959. Those were Chitty Chitty Jang right? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was wait. That movie was released way after that. Released, yeah, it was made in the sixties, but it takes place in like nineteen. Oh, okay. I'm like, like that, that movie definitely was not made in the <laughs> oh, teens. No. I can guarantee yeah. it. It's the very first color and sound movie and also <laughs> Dick Van Dyke time travel. And flying <laughs> cars. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. What have you been watching this week? So I, uh, well, <laughs> we literally just <laughs> talked about this before we started recording. Reiterate everything you just told yeah, me. Yeah, I'll Mike. repeat everything. Um, yeah. So, okay. One thing to add that you, that I didn't tell you before Ooh. the podcast. So I tried to start watching the show Killing Eve. Uh, it's been on my list for a very long time. And... I couldn't make it through the first episode. So really interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, um, it just, it, speaking of dark shows, it's a very, mm-hmm. very dark show. Um, and I would be willing to try it again, seeing as how I barely even finished the first episode. I'm sure it's not like a representation of the whole show. Cause a lot of shows take a while to get going and establish themselves. Um, but yeah, I tried to start watching killing Eve didn't pan out. Maybe it will again sometime in the future. Yeah, um, people really love that show, or at least they love the yeah. first season. I've heard that it, it goes down in later seasons, but um, the first season has pretty pretty universal acclaim from what yeah. I've heard. I think it won like a bunch of Emmys, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, and then um, two other things that I've been watching. One is um, I started watching the television show BoJack Horseman. This week, um, I won't go into a lot of detail about it because Geneva and I just talked about it for like 10 minutes before we started recording. Um, But yeah, BoJack Horseman is an adult cartoon that is a Netflix original. Um, It was a show that I tried to start watching in um, when I was in college, but I couldn't really get into it. So I kind of stopped. 
But recently, um, a person who is very close to me recommended the show and they spoke very highly of it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll give it another chance. We can watch it together. And uh, I love the show. It's really, really good. Um, I can't say that I enjoy watching it. Uh, It's incredibly dark and depressing and upsetting and anger-inducing and all of the negative emotions, basically, this show like pulls out of you. Um, but at the same time, for some reason, I can't, I can't stop watching. It's just such a, it's such an introspective show. It makes you think about life and think about, um, what's important and what's not and how the decisions we make affect other people. And, um, so yeah, Bojack is for people who don't know, it's essentially a show that follows the character Bojack Horseman. He, was a uh, a famous he was like a, a star of a sitcom that was really famous 15 years prior and since then he's kind of become a has-been and as a result of that he's become a terrible alcoholic who basically abuses everyone around him and you get bits and pieces of his past and how tragic his childhood was growing up um, and how all of that is just manifesting now in him basically like, destroying every single relationship that he has. Um, and the sad thing is that he's entirely self-aware of his faults and, um, his issues, but he refuses to do anything to, um, correct those and make any efforts to get out of it. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a really good show, very well written. Um, it has really great ideas and it's super profound, but at the same time, it's very heavy. It's a super heavy watch. Um, but yeah, if anyone's interested in watching a show that is incredibly depressing and will make you feel terrible, but is also (laughs) very well written and, uh, prompts a lot of interesting, important questions, I would recommend BoJack Horseman. Um, and yeah, that, that's it. Cause I was going to say, I watched two things this week, but the other one is some like it hot. So, (laughs) um, oh no, 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 no. I watched, um, sorry, Smartless. So another, so a podcast that I listen to, it's called Smartless and it's hosted by Will Arnett, Sean Hayes and Jason Bateman. And it's basically them just like, they bring on guests who are, you know, famous people of all different kinds and they just talk to them and joke around for like an hour plus. And they went live on a tour in 2022, kind of going around the country and doing their podcast live in front of people. And so, uh... Anyway, so HBO Max, now called Max Whatever, has a series where they followed the guys around while they were on their tour, basically filming them in a documentary style format, just kind of watching them as they fly on their airplanes and stay in their hotels and take transportation to their you know locations and things like that, while also showing highlights from the interviews um, in the like in the um, like in the venues. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really fun watch. Um, it's just nice to watch this trio just kind of hang out with each other and, and crack jokes because they're such good friends. Uh, they've all known each other for a really long time, but then on top of that, like seeing them as real people who get tired and have families and have a genuine friendship where they kind of care for each other and look out for each other. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a pleasant watch. I'm enjoying it. Um, and I look forward to finishing it. So 
yeah, that's that's what I've been watching. Bojack, uh, Smartless, and a little bit of Killing Eve. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. So I haven't watched a whole lot uh, since our, our last record, which was, again, only a few days ago. Oh, yeah. Um, I've rewatched a couple of, of movies recently, though. So I rewatched a movie called The Little Foxes, which I saw for the first time, I think, toward the end of last year. So I may actually have talked about it on the podcast before. I don't remember. I don't want to say too much if I talked about it before, but it's a movie from the early 40s with an incredible performance by Betty Davis, just about uh, the the corruption of the wealthy and um, how, you know, good people trying to do their best to stand up against people who are mired by greed and um, completely blinded to uh, treating other people in their lives with any sort of thoughtfulness and dignity. And yeah, I would recommend that movie. I liked it even better the second time around. I think it's really well acted and really well, really well written, really well directed. Definitely gave me sort of early seasons of Game of Thrones, the Lannisters hanging out, interacting with each other vibes in terms of the siblings interactions with each other where you get a sense of their history with each other, but also they're such greedy, grasping people. They would none of them would hesitate to stick a knife in the each other's back and it's just so compelling to watch so anyway little foxes we um, had three stocks to trade you chopped one's head off and you let another escape <laughs> father would be furious must be hard for you being the disappointing child <laughs> <laughs> i should have known that tatum would have a start quote ready to go do you want more quotes i could use more <laughs> <laughs> all right pile it on <laughs> Um, um, you love your children. <laughs> great qualities. That's in your cheekbones. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. That's an all timer. <laughs> uh, Should go on a t-shirt. Um, the I other think thing it I- is on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone somewhere would not have let that pass. All right. The other movie I rewatched recently was um, a sort of romantic. Uh, melodrama seems a little bit too dismissive because it is pretty restrained, but a romantic drama from the late 30s called Intermezzo. And this movie is pretty notable for being the first Hollywood, the Hollywood debut of Ingrid Bergman. So her, the first movie that she made in Hollywood in English. She is so radiant in this movie. You can see why she became a huge star and just an absolute icon of the era. The movie itself is, it's okay. It's about a, um, a married violinist who has an affair with a um, a young piano player. Um, Ingrid Bergman is the young piano player. Leslie Howard is the married vi- violinist. Um, they have they have good chemistry. Um, it's a sweet story, but um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a fantastic movie apart from just how incredibly radiant Ingrid Bergman is, um, as she always is. So sometimes yeah. that's all you need, so. though. Like if you have a it's strong true. performance, it really can carry a whole film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's worth watching if you if you love seeing Ingrid Bergman on screen, uh, if you love watching portrayals of, I don't know, people bonding over playing classical music with each other. <laughs> Always fun. She does a really good job, by the way, of, um, uh, you know, it really looks like she's playing the piano. I, I don't think the sound that you're hearing is actually her, but her she's playing these extremely complicated pieces of um, classical music and her fingers are matching all the sounds that you're hearing. It's very impressive. So yeah, intermezzo. Nice. Yeah. 
All right. So today on the show, we are discussing the 1959 screwball comedy, Some Like It Hot, directed by Billy Wilder, starring Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, and Marilyn Monroe. So the story follows Joe and Jerry, two down-on-their-luck jazz musicians in the 1920 1920s Chicago, who accidentally witness a mob murder. To escape, they disguise themselves as women, calling themselves Josephine and Daphne. Daphne! Daphne! Daphne. (laughs) Well, I never did like the name, Geraldine. (laughs) (laughs) And they join an all-female band for an extended gig in Miami. Hijinks ensue. Joe poses as a frigid millionaire in order to romance the band's lead singer, Sugarcane, played by Marilyn Monroe. Meanwhile, Jerry fights off the advances of a real millionaire, Osgood Fielding III, who wants to show Daphne a good time on the town. In the end, the gangsters catch up with them in Florida, a madcap chase ensues, identities are revealed, and the film ends with possibly the greatest final line in cinema history. Well, well, nobody's, nobody's perfect. perfect. <laughs> with a huge smile on her, just like, ah. If anyone is listening to this and has not seen Some Like It Hot, I mean, walk, do not run. Go watch this movie. So good. I, it just, it really deserves all of these jokes, these gags, these, you know, back and forth. They deserve to be seen, um, you know, for the first time in, in reality. But if nothing I else. I would also recommend watching it with a friend. Because this oh is a goodness, really yes. fun movie to watch with, is... with a group of people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Great movie for, for group watching. If nothing else, just go, or if it's been a long time since you've seen it, just go YouTube the final scene. It is so, so funny. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. All right. Some it's like streaming it on Max, guys. Go watch it. Oh, it is? Oh, I have it on Wait, DVD. Wait, how did so you watch it? it? I have it on DVD. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Some Like It Hot. So it was a hit in, in 1959 with audiences and with critics, but it's only grown in esteem since then. Widely considered to be one of the greatest comedies ever made, it's zany energy, rapid-fire dialogue, and genuinely daring exploration of sex and gender bending have kept it feeling sharp and hilarious almost 65 years later. Also timeless is its star, Marilyn Monroe, who struggled behind the scenes to make it through filming, but whose on-screen radiance and warmth are essential to balancing the movie's sense of cynical mischief. It's a movie about lines being blurred and redrawn, the status quo being upset and reset, and deception somehow turning out to be truth. All right, Tatum, how did you first come to this movie? Because I know this is not your first time seeing it. And what were your thoughts on this rewatch? Well, so let me just say... That I I think that there is a legitimate argument that could be made that this is not one of, but the greatest comedy of all time. Mm. I, I'm not going to make that argument in this moment because I haven't prepared, (laughs) but I would need to see a top 10 list, but you know, very, very strong case could be made. Exactly. Um, so not to show my hand too much, but I love this movie. (laughs) Um, but yeah, as far as my relationship with it, um, someone that, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but is a very beloved friend of mine, uh, (laughs) a lady named Geneva showed me this movie for the first time. Um, Gosh, how many years ago was it? Was it during? I don't remember. Was it? I feel. Was it during 2020 when we like didn't have anything else to do, or was it before that? Maybe it was before um, that. 
I think oh, it was it's, before. It's so hard to remember. Was it around the time that we tried to watch On the Waterfront and didn't make it through? It was around that time. Because I feel like that was during the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Either way, Which, it was 2019 note, or 2020. On the Waterfront is a great movie. I did later make it through. Yes. Um, and it's fantastic. But that yes. time around, we were just... We were just watching it too late at night. It, yeah. That, we that's just, what it was. Yeah, we we started it way too late. Um but anyway, yeah, but so yes. Gen- Geneva showed me this movie a few years ago, and it was a movie, like, quite honestly, I- I'd never, I'm not going to say I'd never heard of it, because it kind of rung a bell, but it was not on my radar at all. So Geneva was just like, Tatum, let's let's pop this movie in. I, I think you'll enjoy it. It's pretty funny, and, you know, I trust Geneva's opinion, so I was like, sure, why not? Thank you. And... Yeah, I I loved it. Um, it was <laughs> it was a huge surprise because again, I didn't know anything about it. So when I saw these men and then their first time like <laughs> dressed up as women falling on their heels trying to like do their little walk at the train station, <laughs> I was like, I did not know that this is what I was in for, but I am here for it. So yeah, it's I think so we can we need to talk about it, but it's so funny how long the movie takes to set up where it's going. Exactly. And then once the reveal happens, it's just it's, it's so, so great. Perfect. It's so great. Um, but yeah, so I think I think the first time around, I really just enjoyed it for the vibes. Like it was just so funny um, and just such a pleasant, really like genuinely really fun watch. And this time around, because I I kind of knew what I was getting into. I think I was able to see past the comedy I'm, and st- I mean, still enjoy the comedy, but I was able to appreciate a lot of the really, for lack of a better word, like woke messaging <laughs> that exists in <laughs> yeah. this film. This movie is very feminist. This mm-hmm. movie is very ahead of its time. Yes. This movie is very, I suppose you could make an argument that it's not the case, but in my opinion, there's a lot of gender fluidity and sexual orientation fluidity that is happening in this film. Um, But in a way that's not, that's not making fun of it in a way that's disrespectful. It's like, it's appreciating it in a, in a funny way. Um, So yeah, I think, I think I enjoyed this movie more the second time than I did the first time because I was cracking up at every single joke that happened because it's so dang funny. But then also just being impressed by the, by just how progressive this was for its time and also how it's still um, like, it hasn't aged poorly. It's aged really well. And I think that that is extremely impressive for a story of this kind of nature. Um, Not to mention like the acting performances and the costumes and you know, the blocking of the actors and this, like, this movie is so good. Um, So yeah, I, I loved it. I'm glad that Geneva gave me the, the motivation to watch it again. I was going to watch it again eventually, but it wasn't something that I was like itching to watch again. Um, But I think that this needs to be a film that I watch every year. It's just, it's so fun. And unfortunately, because of its age, meaning like the year that it came out, I feel like there's a lot of people that haven't seen it that are younger. And so I'm like, I want to spread the love. I'm, I want to do for mm-hmm. other people what yeah, Geneva did for me. Show this movie to more people because it's really freaking good. <laughs> so, yeah, those those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. I 
I don't remember exactly when I first saw this movie, honestly. Um, I remember having to watch it for a film comedies class that I took in college, um, but I think I had maybe seen it before that. I don't think that was the first time I, I had watched it. Um, but I, you know, I've seen it, rewatched it a handful of times over the years. Every single time I see it, I find something new to appreciate. I, I rewatched it. I showed it with to a couple of friends last year while I was doing my master's and just sitting with them kind of, you know, you, you know how every time you show someone something that you love and they've never seen it before, all of a sudden you're noticing new things mm-hmm. because you're watching it as if they are seeing it for the first time. Like it was just that experience for me where all of a sudden all of these layers were jumping out to me and I was like, oh my goodness, this movie has so much to say about gender dynamics and power dynamics and all of these different things. So yeah, this movie is just, it's so perfect. It's it's so funny. It's so timeless. It's so relevant. Um, It has so much to say. It really does hold up. And yeah, there's just (laughs) <laughs> I can't say enough good things about it. I really can't. The performances are so good. I mean, so good. I'm a I'm a huge Marilyn Monroe fan. Um, just in general, um, I haven't seen all of her movies, but I've seen I've seen quite a few. I love her. Everything that I've seen her in, uh, she's just so radiant on screen. She's underrated, I think, for for her comedic timing, and she's great in this movie. Jack Lemmon, obviously, is just absolute force of nature in this movie it's no wonder that Ian Billy Wilder went on to do like you know half a dozen collaborations or however many it was I Um, feel like Tony Curtis steals the show for me mm, I mean all of the performances are absolutely incredible but I feel Mm -hmm. like Tony really I'm like dang son this is this is incredible what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should talk about it because I, I feel like I t- sometimes overlook Tony Curtis in this movie. Mm, but what he's doing is so I think it's just because it's a little more subdued than what Jack Lemmon is doing. He's OK, but it's not like he's playing the straight man. They they're play they play the straight man against each other. And also the funny like they keep right, switching yeah. places in their dynamics. Exactly. You can't assign one of them the straight one and the other one the funny one because they're constantly switching places. It's so impressive. They have such great chemistry with each other. So, yeah, this movie is brilliant. Billy Wilder's brilliant. I love Billy Wilder. We've established this before. <laughs> well, I actually <laughs> wanted to ask you, mm. where does this movie rank for you in terms of Billy Wilder films? Oh. Is this your favorite or? Oh, that's such a good question. I mean, you've Wait. seen so many, but. Mm. Yeah, hang on. Let me let me pull up pull up the list. Got to do a quick little uh look through because I mean, who we've talked about this a little bit before when we did our the apartment episode, but for anyone who's unaware, Billy Wilder has an insane <laughs> really <laughs> crazy, really crazy in let a good see. way, in a yeah, good way. Insane. So, Major in the Minor, Double Indemnity, Lost Weekend, Sunset Boulevard. Oh, Double Indemnity is your favorite, I feel Double like. Double Indemnity is probably my favorite. But this is probably second um or maybe The Apartment. Oh, it's so hard. Don't forget There's Sunset. There's just so many bangers. <laughs> Sunset Boulevard's, yeah, Sabrina, Seven Year Itch, Witness for the Prosecution, Some Like It Hot The Apartment. Yeah, I've seen I've a seen. fair amount of his movies, I'm realizing. Yeah. He's one I of mean, those I directors that, but... that, yeah, he's one of those directors that really can do any genre. He's done so many different like genres that, that like, mm-hmm. I forget that that movie was made by him or that that movie was made by him because, mm-hmm. you know, we've got Double Indemnity, which is a noir, and then Sunset like one of Boulevard, the noirs of all time. which is kind of 
like a thriller almost mm-hmm. in my mind. And then, you know, some like it hot, which is a comedy, the apartment, which is like a rom-com more type of dynamic. Mm-hmm. Sabrina, I've seen once before. I don't remember. I don't remember what it's about to be honest, but, um, yeah, I mean like these are just all across the board. Those are the only mm-hmm. ones that I've seen, but even so, like I wouldn't watch Dublin Double Indemnity and then watch some like it hot and think that it was made by the same person if I didn't mm-hmm. already know that. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. It's insane that one person can do all of that. But yeah. Um Hot Take. Billy Wilder's a good director. <laughs> <laughs> hot take. Hot take. <laughs> I know. Wild thoughts. Um, All right. So why don't we get into the movie? Let's talk about it a little bit. Um, So as I mentioned, one thing I was really struck by rewatching this movie is I forgot how long it takes to set up everything that happens. And it is Mm -hmm. funny how. um, So I was looking up the production of this movie. The script of this movie is um, it is in the adapted screenplay category because it's, it's actually based on a French film from the 30s which had that sort of that same premise of uh, two male musicians who have to disguise themselves as women uh, in order to get a, a job in an all-female band. But that movie did not have any sort of, from what, I, from what I read, that movie didn't have any sort of gangster subplot. That is something that Billy Wilder added and his writing partner, um, I.A.L. Diamond, who wrote a lot of his films with him. That's something that they added to this movie to kind of give it a little more, um, you know, propulsion, basically. And it is, I was rewatching, I was like, they do such a great job with the tone of this because starting with a brutal gangster murder (laughs) is kind of strange in a comedy, but they do somehow manage to make it funny. I mean, the entire, the whole opening scene in which a policeman visits a speakeasy, so this is 1920s Chicago, prohibition is on, in order to drink, you have to be underground and doing it in secret. So this police officer is visiting a speakeasy in preparation for a raid and the speakeasy is designed as a funeral parlor and so everyone's kind of winking about like oh i'm here for the funeral of the old lady he like explicitly (laughs) he explicitly says like i don't remember the exact line but he's like Mm -hmm. you never know there could be a raid (laughs) the part where he's like i want some booze and they're like we don't serve booze we just serve coffee scotch coffee mm-hmm. canadian coffee it's like wink wink like it's I so saw, funny. i saw one review on letterbox someone wrote like i can't stop or like the only thing i'm thinking about is that one poor guy that never got his coffee or something <laughs> like that i want another cup of coffee <laughs> i know the gangsters take him out and you think like oh no they're gonna go kill him and then like next scene there he is still asking for his coffee he's fine yep. <laughs> yeah I love how it's just a, such a small thing, but in the funeral parlor, everything's so quiet and solemn, and they open the secret back door, and it's so loud, and you're like, what oh, yeah. incredible soundproofing they have in the speakeasy. Yep. Can I, I just wanted to to note that, so I was, again, watching it this time, I just was paying attention to things that I wasn't paying attention to last time. I... I feel like this movie opens with a really incredible action sequence. The car, mm. the stunts with the car are really, really impressive to me. Like they've yeah. got cars whipping around corners and smashing into fences. And I'm just like, wow, this is really impressive that they're pulling this off with those types of vehicles yeah, that are really old too. and making it look real and believable and dangerous and... 
I just found that opening car, like the opening car action sequence to be really impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it genuinely could have come out of like a a Scarface or the French Connection or, or something you know, some other genre, you're you're not expecting it to turn into a comedy. Also mm-hmm. makes me wonder, you know, if Billy Wilder had ever decided to turn to a straight action film. I don't know that he ever, can't think of any that he did off the top of his head, but I'm sure he would have, it would have been great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so we, so we have the speakeasy. Um, we meet the musicians there, Jerry and Joe, and they're just these down-on-their-luck guys who are constantly squabbling with each other. Again, Tony Curtis, Jack uh, Jack Lemon, they just have such great chemistry with each other. I love how Tony Curtis, Joe, is somehow always... he he. What what silver tongue he has. He's always able to talk Jerry into his... You would think that Jerry is the one, because he's the more manic one, that he's the one coming up with the harebrained schemes, but it's not. It's Joe. And yet somehow Joe is able to talk Jerry, who's the more sensible one, into all of his schemes. And then Jerry is just complaining about how it leaves them in a worse spot. It's like, you didn't have to do what Joe said. You didn't have to hawk your overcoat and put the money on the dog. <laughs> and yet somehow Joe tells you to do it and then you do it. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the dynamic in White Christmas where it's like, oh, you're a lonely, miserable, unhappy man. And he's <laughs> and Bing Crosby's character, I forget their names because I haven't seen that movie since Christmas. But th- their dynamic of just Bing Crosby kind of being the more solemn, grounded guy of like, this is this is a little bit too risky. Like, maybe we should think this through first. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy just being like, no, let's like, let, let's just do it. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be fine. Like, yeah, let's just hop on the, tr- we'll give our tickets to these ladies and then we'll try and get onto the train and we'll sleep <laughs> in the club car. Like, I mean, it's a classic comedic, um, like comedic duo archetypes is the, the more risk averse one and the more carefree one and the more manic one and the more, the less manic one. And I mean, again, they're they're always changing places in terms of which one exactly. is the one yeah. who's being sensible and which one is not. But right, yeah, yeah. I I I also think about that <laughs> the sequence when they go to I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just kind of a big office where there's a bunch of agents or whoever they are that help mm, give yeah. them gigs, and they just it's like open a job the door. agency, but for musicians specifically. Yeah, and they just open the door and everyone's just like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. And Thank then you. the one door, it's like, oh, well, maybe if Tony, if, um, if Tony, or not Tony, if Joe, like, schmoozes his way, <laughs> you know, and then Jerry's <laughs> kind of just standing there like, oh, brother, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> I mean, it works. Yeah, but, I mean, he can um, talk anyone into anything. He can apparently talk this woman that he straight up jilted, like straight up stood up at their last date, somehow talks her into letting her them borrow her car so they can drive it like a hundred miles in the snow (laughs) it doesn't make any sense oh it's so good yeah he's he's got game he's definitely a successful con man i feel (laughs) well i don't in certain ways he's successful in other ways he's not but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah they're down on their luck their job at the speakeasy the speakeasy's just been raided so they're out of work they're trying to find some job um, they hear about this job where they're needed. <laughs> they need uh, Sorry, two female I... musicians to go down to Florida and play in this band. And I love kind of foreshadowing for the way his character goes in the rest of the movie. I love how quick Jerry is to jump to the idea of 
why don't we disguise ourselves as women and take this job? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there is nothing prompting him. There, There's no one after them. There's no reason they need to get out of town at this point. He's just like, oh, we could do that. And Joe's like, uh, no, we couldn't. And Jerry's like, sure, we could. <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I find it to be so interesting how, yeah, I mean, I feel like Jerry genuinely enjoys, you know, being this woman side of himself whereas joe kind of just does it when he needs to Mm -hmm. um i mean he definitely i don't think he hates it but it's not something where he's like readily you know wanting to dress in this Mm -hmm. outfit whenever he gets the chance like jerry's like i'm gonna put on a bathing suit and a cat and like a swim cap and go to like (laughs) i'm gonna chat with the the girls and we're all gonna like hang out and boy talk and share lipstick with each other it's so good i love it yeah. Well, I feel like you get these two sides of the sort of male experience in in this, um, you know, in this type of situation, because you have the Joe side of it, which is, I, I feel like his experience of it is a lot being a woman. He sees a lot of the sort of inconveniences and um, like downsides of being a woman. You know, he gets harassed by that stupid like bellboy creepy child <laughs> bellboy who's like hey doll i have a pass key to your room like what a creep um you know he gets like pinched and, and looked at and like you know he he sees all the the like, he becomes a more i think compassionate and understanding man through the experience of living as a woman because he's literally living in the shoes of someone else of someone who's he's always kind of degraded and treated as um disposable and i mean this is not a movie that's like super moralistic it's not like he comes out the other end it's like i now understand and i will be a perfect boyfriend like you don't really think he's i mean he's still that much but lied to a woman for days to get her to fall in Mm -hmm. love with him like you know yeah but there is that satisfaction of seeing someone who is you know that kind of charming fuck boy basically um finally get his comeuppance in a certain in a certain sense but then you have the jerry side of the experience which is just like oh i really like this oh this is like freeing to some he's having this is liberating so much to some fun. side of me jerry yeah. is living his best life he really this whole movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah in ways that you would not expect i genuinely think that by the end of this movie i do think that osgood and jerry will get married like, I genuinely <laughs> think that they will. But there are laws, conventions. De- well, Doesn't okay, matter. I guess in this time they technically couldn't be married, but because laws. I mean, but you, could, I, you could definitely see them becoming partners, like long term oh, partners. Absolutely. I mean, Jerry's totally into it. Osgood, obviously. It. Like, Jerry's got the security, that's all he wants. Yeah, Osgood, like, has had the hots for Jerry since the second he <laughs> saw, you know, it's just like. I, or I feel like we shouldn't even call him Jerry. We should call him Daphne. It's like, yeah. you know, because he just becomes Daphne and he is mm-hmm. Daphne by the end. And I just, I think, anyway, yeah, I, J- Jerry slash Daphne living their best life and I'm here for it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, all right. Where were we? I was sort of vaguely going through the plot, even though this is, I mean, this actually is like a pretty plotty well-structured movie it's just so much of it is so light and zany um that it's kind of hard but yeah in terms of the plot so the two of them they have to go to a gig and they're in the garage trying to retrieve the car when they are 
um, wrong place, wrong time, accidentally witnessed this mob murder. I think it's vaguely based on something called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago, um, which was like a real life, you know, gangster massacre that occurred. Um, but they, the two of them managed to escape, but uh, they're seen by the gangster leader, Spats Columbo, <laughs> which is such a great gangster name. And he's played by George Raft, who was like a um, this actor who'd been in a lot of gangster movies throughout Golden Age Hollywood. Um, so kind of like a recognizable shorthand for, you know, gangster boss. Uh, he has these nice shiny white spats that are his character trait, his like sole character trait, uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, the the two of them, they have to escape. They have to get out of Chicago. Um, where can they go? They dress up as women, somehow acquire a full ward- female wardrobe and wigs and very short notice. And the next thing Let's you see, be honest, is Jerry legs. had them in his closet. They've been in his <laughs> yeah. closet for years. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, my girlfriend left it behind. I, I just haven't had the heart to throw it out. But right. Know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the next thing we see is them at the train station and it's their legs. No, 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 no. Attempting let, let, to walk in high heels. What? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess you just you just. Um, yeah. Well, we start, it, we start like, on we their legs. We don't even see them first. Heels. We just see their little feet like, you know, click, 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 click. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're looking so uncomfortable (laughs) okay i this is something again i didn't notice the first time i watched it but i loved it in this movie because i think it's intentional that they do this but the fact that the first time we see them you know dressed like this is this scene where they do not even know how to walk in these heels it's super funny and like really awkward and they're basically falling over Mm -hmm. i mean one of them literally falls when getting onto the train but then by the end, they are sprinting. <laughs> they they like grow into it. So fast. Like, <laughs> I could not even run that fast. In, I don't know anyone that can run that fast in heels. <laughs> they are like giving it their all by the end. And I just love that kind of subtle arc of mm-hmm. showing you know, their journey. It's called character growth. It's called. It's great. An arc. It's I love it. writing. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. So, yeah, I mean, that opening that opening shot of just their little feet and just being like, oh, man, I know where this is going. And then you get the reveal of their whole get up. And it's just <laughs> it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So, they, you know, they, they introduce themselves to the sweet Sue, the lady who's the conductor of the band and Beanstalk, her, her little kind of weaselly manager guy who tries to help her keep everything in line, which, of course, they totally <laughs> fail at. I feel like we see a little bit here. He's great. Kind of, he's so great. Beanstalk. <laughs> Every yep. time something goes wrong. We see here a little bit of the sort of commentary that the movie has about different, um, about the female experience and gender roles for women in that sort of late 50s, early 60s period. You know, gender roles are pretty rigid around this time. But this sort of, um, the the idea of there being sort of different different types of women you know the Daphne and Josephine are presenting themselves as oh they went to this conservatory so they're kind of more high class women they've got the high class morals they're like oh we better watch our language around these dames I love it I love love it it. it's so good it's so good of course later on they're like oh yeah conservatory they let us out for good behavior (laughs) (laughs) we were we were there for one year didn't you say three years uh we got up (laughs) yeah for good behavior (laughs) Or something like that. Yeah, it's mm. so funny. But yeah, the, that idea that like, you know, oh, as women being in our, even being in our own sort of female only space, we need to sort of be policing 
each other, policing our behavior. We need to be keeping a sort of moral standard here. Um, there's this whole idea. I mean, when they meet Sugar and the rest of the girls, like all the girls drink, they all sleep around, they all do these same things, but they're not supposed to. And if they get caught, which Sugar is the only one who gets <laughs> ever seems to get caught, but if they get caught, then their livelihood is in jeopardy. The and fact that they didn't get caught when they basically had a party like, i'm so like insane. i don't how did i just don't understand how that didn't become a thing but that's fine we'll just gloss over it um i will say something that i found to be really funny on this watch was when mm. they're rehearsing on the train <laughs> and um and sweet sue kind of basically says to them like G- give us a little more. I thought you yeah, guys were, room, you know, more fire. And then they like, I just love how Jerry starts like spinning this like <laughs> base in his like, hand over and, over and over and over again. And like, that's his version of pizzazz. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so great. And then he just like, won't stop. And I think it's, I think it's awesome. I love it's- that action that, that his character does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so funny. They're just, they're trying. They're really trying. Jack Lemon is just so physical in this movie with his humor. It's so physical and I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. He's he's so expressive as a performer. Um he's so good at using his body, his face, his just he just has so much I mean I said it before, but he has so much energy in this role. You know, he's always doing something, he's always saying something, he's always reacting to something. It's so great. Yeah. Speaking of the speaking of the little party that they have, I sent you a snap because I forgot how <laughs> outrageous that oh <laughs> that party becomes where it's just, you know, Jerry being smashed in this little bunk with all of these women. Where's the cheese? Like, I brought this and I brought this. Like, where did that come from? We need ice. Like, it's just, he just gets completely overwhelmed in there. He's like, leave, get out, stop, it's stop, like, stop. It's the tiniest little train bunk you can imagine. And there are so many women. So many. Crammed into it. It it's really great. made me think of, um, did you ever see that Marx Brothers movie, night at the opera where there's mm. like this tiny so they're on a cruise ship and there's this tiny little room definitely look it up on youtube afterwards if you haven't seen this i do like this tiny brothers. little like cruise brothers stateroom and groucho marx is in there and people keep coming into the stateroom and they're like oh i'm here you know i i have to go fix a light lighting fixture in the corner and you bring in your giant um ladder and then someone else is like hey do you want a manicure and he's like yeah sure come on in and someone else comes on in bringing food and so it's like basically at the end of the scene this tiny little stateroom has like 20 people in it all crammed together all trying to do things <laughs> and you know similar to what happens in this scene finally someone opens the door and everyone just spills out everywhere it just falls and out it's like so many more people than you think could possibly fit in there and it is so funny I also love the editing of that scene, too, because this happens a few times in the movie where we have Jerry going through some experience that's like chaotic or funny or whatever. And then it cuts to cuts to Joe kind of doing something a little bit more quiet or Mm -hmm. serene or whatever it is. Then it goes back to Jerry and it's just (laughs) chaos and insanity and then back to Joe. And I just I love that balance of how this movie really just I don't know. I love how Joe and Jerry are these very different people 
and yet they somehow have this relationship where you can tell that they've been together for a long time Mm -hmm. and they know each other really well and their friendship just works even though they're very different people Mm -hmm. um but yeah I just love I guess specifically with this scene I just love that editing choice of going back and forth between this like chaos of this party happening in this bunk with Jerry and then Joe and Sugar having this you know quiet personal Mm. genuine conversation where we're kind of really learning about who sugar is for the first time and then we're cutting back again to screaming (laughs) and then we're going back to show i just think it's a really great juxtaposition of those of those two different dynamics yeah yeah that's a really great point and this is where we're also seeing jerry really so previous to this jerry's kind of experience of dressing up as a woman as a woman his response has mostly been like oh boy i'm a horny man and i'm surrounded by women this is great for me (laughs) but here's where we really start to see him be like oh i love being a woman i love interacting with the world in the world as a woman i'm like he's hanging out with all these women and they're chatting and they're sharing drinks with each other and they're just like getting along they're all just vibing um and he seems to be having a great time and i love well, even at the start of the scene before the party, how when he's like perched in the bed and he somehow has learned every single woman's name and he's like, mm. night, night, Dolores, Toodaloo, yep. Mariel, yep. like, <laughs> sweet dreams, <laughs> Anita, and, like, and Joe's just like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He just like, he fits himself right in. He really does. I find it interesting though, because doesn't it happen later on in the story? I don't remember at what point this happens i feel like it's almost right after they get to florida isn't Mm -hmm. jerry the first one who says like all right we made it here let's leave that like our only purpose was to just get here and let's go do something else but then joe is like no let's stay because i'm interested in sugar type of thing Mm -hmm. i find it interesting that they get there and jerry's like all right we got here now let's go you know yeah well it's not like a it's not like a sudden like switch on all of a sudden he he wants to live as a woman for the rest of his life or anything like that it is kind of back and forth for a while i mean i feel like part of it is his experience with that long night he spends with osgood and he his brain breaks a little bit (laughs) he's sort of i feel like he's kind of changed forever after that one night but um yeah which again we see mm-hmm. that happen with like the cutting back and forth between Joe and Jerry. Oh, it's Joe so having good. this very quiet, romantic, sensual, mm-hmm. you know, makeout scene with Sugar, and then <laughs> you cut back cutting to, the to Jerry having chaos. this like over the top, like some type of tango dance with Oscar, <laughs> yeah. like, where they're so serious about it too, oh which gosh. makes it so funny. The way the, they, they like are, yeah. hold the rose and like switch off with the rose. Absolutely. In each mouth. It's so funny. It's so great. I, I love it. I absolutely, I keep saying this, but it's just, yeah, I love it. It's so yeah, good. It's so good. All right. I don't want to get anyway, too that far was ahead, jumping super far ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Um, well, we didn't really mention, but they meet, Sugar Kane, played by Marilyn Monroe, on the train. She's the lead singer of the band, even though she says, I'm not much of a singer, but then again, this isn't much of a band, <laughs> which is pretty great. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, she has this talk with Joe, uh, Josephine, in the bathroom where she talks about how kind of her vulnerabilities, she's basically like, I'm really dumb because I keep going for the same type of man and the type of man I'm into is a saxophone player. Tenor saxophone player. Joe is. (laughs) She's like, yep, they just play a little bit of sax and I'm just can't help myself. And Joe's like, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. (laughs) 
Yep. No, duly noted. Um, but yeah, doesn't, she's, doesn't sugar say to, to, to Josephine like, yes, well, it's very good that you're not a man otherwise yeah, like, yeah. or he's something like, like but that. But I'm a saxophone player and she's like, yeah, but you're a girl. Thank goodness. And he's like, yeah, good thing. <laughs> yep. Good thing. But yeah, sugar's like, she has kind of a, I mean, it's like kind of sweet and kind of sad in a way where she's just like, yeah, I've kind of had a hard life people are constantly i keep falling for the wrong man who treats me terribly and leaves me with nothing and um but she does have this she has this sort of you know there's this naivete about her um but there's also this sort of sense of optimism which i think is very sweet um like i i really do do love her performance and everything that she's able to project she's such a character that you know, she's not a sort of um, one-dimensional dumb blonde. She is a, I don't know, I feel like she's a human to me, you know. I, I want to see her succeed. I want to see her meet the right man. I don't know if she does at the end, but she gets what she wants, and that's she all that you She definitely doesn't. Ask. She definitely doesn't, <laughs> in my opinion. But, you know, she's she's also, she's like, she's willing to lie and manipulate to get what she wants, in a way, too, which is, I mean, I don't want to go too far ahead, but one of the things I love about this movie is the sort of role, it's like role reversal within a role reversal, because Joe's scheme ends up making Sugar the sexually aggressive one, which is so brilliant in the way that it's constructed, and I just really love that about it. You know, she's this kind of mix of someone who's kind of sweet and naive and has been put upon in the past but also in this fantasy that she gets to play out with joe she gets to be the one who's seducing him she gets to be the one who is she knows how to play to her strengths that's for Mm -hmm. sure (laughs) yeah 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 so anyway that's sugar um anything else that we can say about the the train sequence and everything that gets set up there i i don't think so not not that i can remember no Mm -mm. yeah yeah, well, I mean, sugar, I guess the only other thing is that sugar is like, yeah, my goal is I'm going to get to Florida. I'm going to find myself a nice, rich millionaire. And he's got to have a yacht. He's got to have a yacht and, and wear glasses. I love it when men wear glasses. They're so <laughs> Oh, sweet. do you? Helpless okay. and vulnerable. Yeah, again, Joe is like, uh-huh, uh-huh, filing it away. Taking notes, taking notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they make it to Florida. Uh, I love that, sh- that shot of the... Um, the uh the porch in the the giant florida hotel where it's just a line of like 75 80 year old millionaires all with newspapers in the exact same pose i will say hanging out waiting for the truck with the women to arrive speaking to kind of something that i i guess we both mentioned earlier i i just i love the feminism in this movie because it does not shy away from the fact that these women are beautiful and because of that they are automatically like preyed upon by Mm -hmm. everyone around them just by the fact of merely being women that Mm -hmm. look beautiful and like yeah and how their source of power and also their source of vulnerability yeah and just like how obnoxious that can be how how like impossible it is to avoid for them um, and I just, I just really love how that is established very early on. Um, 
you know, from, I I think it kind of starts at the train and it continues on from there. And we really see it at its height here when they first enter the hotel, because we see all these women getting stared at. And then we have the sequence where like Jerry is obsessively hit on by Osgood. Mm -hmm. And I think Jerry's a full on pest. Yeah. Like I think Jerry's the one who gets pinched in the elevator. And then Joe is like, Hit. it's just it's insane and joe and jerry both have these conversations i don't know if they have conversations with each other but just kind of like mumbling to themselves like what yeah. is how do these women what is stand going it, on like yeah leave me alone what mm-hmm. i'm i didn't even talk to you and all of a sudden i'm being harassed yeah you know like, and they don't they have some line where they're like you're wearing a skirt it's like waving a red flag in front of a bull or something like that yeah and i just i love how this film really establishes that and like I said doesn't shy away from it because it is it is a reality that still exists today uh and I think that women should be able to dress beautiful and feel confident in that without also feeling nervous about being harassed um and yeah feeling like their own their mere presence is an invitation somehow to all of this harassment and I like the way that it's presented in terms of like it's not showing harassment through the eyes of men, but it is trying to show men like step into a woman's shoes and mm-hmm. really think about their experience. Like it's not mansplaining. It's not mansplaining harassment. It's it's showing men like figuratively and literally step into a woman's shoes and yeah. see how this is you know, just a part of their experience all the time. Yeah. Um, for some people more than others. Investigation of an yeah. expose of harassment. Yeah. It's so anyway, I, I like how that's established. I still, I'm, you know, there's a lot of characters in this movie where I'm kind of conflicted about them by the end because Osgood, like, I, I do think he genuinely like it, like he is straight up harassing Daphne. Oh, yeah. from the very beginning and will not leave her alone. And that does really, really bother me. But at the end, we do see that he kind of genuinely does want to love Daphne and Mm -hmm. he's kind of just clueless and isn't aware of what he's doing and does have a kind heart and is really silly and frankly, Mm -hmm. quite dumb. And so (laughs) I don't know. I'm very conflicted about his character because I do think some characteristics of him are super problematic and I don't think the movie's arguing that that they're not. But for me personally, I'm just like I don't like how, like I I like where your where your relationship ends up with Daphne by the end, but I'm not happy with how it started. Yeah. So, I feel I mean, conflicted about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a comedy, you know. It's like let's take things that they would be horrifying if they were in the real life, but because we're going to exaggerate them to such an extent and also put them in the um the mouths and actions of a character who is so cartoonish and so has this sort of boyishness to him like you get the sense that he came from money and kind of just never really grew up past the mentally past the age of like 14 yeah you know for sure that i would say like 10 yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and so that makes it that allows you to kind of it it allows you to laugh at it while also still you know being a sharp look at you know how annoying and annoying at best and dangerous at most this sort of thing can be 
I just thought of this in the moment and maybe it's incorrect. And if people want to disagree with me, that's fine. But Osgood kind of reminds me of Michael Scott a little bit in the office in terms of like Michael, especially in the earlier seasons, he does a lot of really problematic things. Like <laughs> he's kind of racist. He's kind of sexist. He's kind of, you know, all these things that outside of the comedy world would be extremely not okay. He would have been fired immediately, like very problematic. But at the same time, he's so ignorant and innocent that you kind of can't really fault him for it because he Mm -hmm. doesn't know what he's doing. So you learn to love him, even though, and and so do the people in the office. Like they learn to love him because they know that he's just stupid and he's coming from the right place. He's almost just like repeating things that he's heard or doing things that he's seen other people do because he thinks this is what you're supposed to do type of thing. He just acts without thinking. So I don't know. I feel like Osgood kind of reminds me of that a little bit in terms of like, you're doing a lot of problematic things, but at the same time, I come to love you because I realize you don't actually mean it. And like deep down, you are just kind of a a gentle idiot who doesn't know what they're doing (laughs) and you just want love. And this is the only way you know how to do it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his, his actions are always the butt of the joke. You know, it's not like the movie is sympathizing with him or getting humor out of like haha look at how he's treating exactly these women yeah. it's look at this idiot who doesn't know how to pursue a woman right yeah 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 <laughs> he I mean, always it's... just has this huge crazy smile on his face <laughs> like it's so great i think the casting of joe brown is fantastic because his mm-hmm. face works so well for this role just the way that his face looks mm-hmm. he it's yeah, yeah he just looks like a giant sort of innocent smiley face you know yeah yeah even though it's... he's like i mean i don't know how old he is 65 maybe i i, I have no idea I don't want to be rude to, to Joe Brown, but yeah, he, he works so well in this role. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I like that whole sequence when they enter the hotel. That's case in point. Yeah, <laughs> all that is to say. It's great. It's great. Yes. Um, yeah. So they're at the hotel. They're doing their gigs in the evenings. Um, but Joe institutes his plan, which is basically he steals a bunch of male clothes and then he starts posing as a millionaire. Um doing this like really really funny uh Cary Grant impression I don't know if you caught that that's what that was but oh yeah I mean Jerry calls him out on it he's like what are you doing like that (laughs) where did this voice come from (laughs) yeah it's so good um but he puts on the glasses and he pretends to be sort of you know vulnerable and and sweet and like oh I you know I'm just this kind of man who's not interested in women and and you know I I don't really interact with women because when they once they know who I am they just start chasing me and of course Marilyn Monroe is like sugar cane is like ooh, her antennas go up and she starts pursuing him um and he's able to again with the persuading of Jerry he keeps taking the things that Osgood offers to Jerry uh, or to Daphne, maybe I should say, and then utilizing them to pretend to be a millionaire. You know, so he's like, "Oh, Osgood wants to set up dinner on his yacht and take Daphne out. Well, instead, I'm going to have Osgood and Daphne stay on land, and I'm going to take Sugar to the yacht, and we're going to have a steamy night on the yacht." Um, in just absolutely incredible, incredible sequence, um, cutting between the two. There's so much great humor in terms of how Jerry interacts with 
Joe's ridiculous game because we have all these jabs where Jerry genuinely tries to have him get caught where, where, you know, first of all, he's like, oh yeah, if this guy likes you, he's definitely going to be there at the show tonight, (laughs) right? Like he'll definitely Mm -hmm. be at the show, even though he knows that's not possible. And then at the end of this beach scene, he's like, no, 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 let's hurry back to the hotel. (laughs) We have to tell Josephine about everything that's going on, which leads to this incredible comedic moment where Joe stands up out of the tub and he is fully clothed been hiding in a bubble because bath he raced um, because back he didn't have time and to didn't have change. time to take his, his man clothes off all he had time to do was put a wig on oh. well they have um, such a sibling dynamic where it's like i'm gonna toe the line of getting you into trouble but i don't actually want you to get into serious trouble you know right like i want to see you suffer a little bit but i don't actually want to see you get hurt yeah I just I love that that kind of back and forth that happens between them where Jerry kind of throws these jabs or tries to have him get caught or call his bluff or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And Sugar is just completely not aware completely of anything oblivious. that's going on. Mm-hmm. And she just like does her thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I yes. I Also, we can't move past this without talking about Jerry as Daphne in a bathing suit with a swim cap on like and then Sugar's like wow you're so big I never would have your arms and shoulders are so big and I don't remember what Daphne's response is oh his his response is like oh it's from carrying that bass fiddle around (laughs) oh right yeah I just I, I love how that's you know, because I feel like if that hadn't been called out, all of us as an audience would have been mm-hmm. like, all right, someone's going to notice that. Yeah. I like, mean, how is through, no it one is noticing? It's so ridiculous that no one right. realizes that these are men dressed up as women. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I like that they that they called that out, because if Sugar hadn't said something like that, I would have been like, all right, come, <laughs> come on. on maybe maybe I can believe it if they're wearing a loose dress that has like fake breasts under it but Mm -hmm. when you're straight up wearing a skin tight bathing suit like someone's gonna notice something Mm -hmm. (laughs) which by the way just costume wise I think it's such a smart idea to set the story in the 20s because they're wearing these you know that's the era of these looser dresses kind of more shapeless uh, the very flat androgynous look was in to begin with um so there is a little bit more forgiveness, I guess, in the the way that the the dresses fit on Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon, and then you get the contrast with Marilyn Monroe, where she's sort of wearing what's nominally a flapper dress, but it is um, very much tailored to show off all of her. Clothes. I I doth protest. <laughs> yeah, and you have that great line where she's like, "Oh, I'm so jealous of you, to, to um, Daphne. I'm so jealous of you. You're so flat chested. I clothes hang so much better on you than they do on me." Like no, Marilyn uh, Monroe. clothes hang on you just fine. I'm Marilyn Monroe is definitely a person where like if I met her in person, I would have to be telling myself eyes up here, like I, eyes up here. Because <laughs> this entire movie is just eyes up here. The movie. I mean, the dresses insane. that they put her in, those two they're dresses not dresses where <laughs> her breasts are basically. I mean, they're not dresses. They're skirts. They are skirts with like pasties. They are skirts with pasties. They're not dresses. Oh my goodness. And like the backs are completely open. Like she's Mm -hmm. basically naked. Like, you know, and it's just like, I mean, I think the casting of Marilyn is great and perfect for what they're trying to get at here. But like, dang, 
I feel like even for the 21st century, if someone was wearing that in a film, it would be like, wow. Oh, yeah. That is really provocative. I have no idea how they got away with it. Just, I mean, this was, this movie was made, so I was was looking up um, kind of how this movie, how they managed to release this movie with the... um, the the haze code the production code at the time the production code was still around it was still being enforced but it was definitely on its way out it was weakened being weakened um by basically one thing after another throughout the 50s this movie was definitely the fact that this movie was so successful was definitely wasn't the nail on the coffin certainly because it was still around for a few more years but it was it was a pretty big blow the fact that this could be released and be such a huge hit yeah for sure yeah. Um, all right. So, yes. Do we want to talk a little bit more specifically about that incredible, like, the two dates that are happening as they're, as they're cutting in between? Again, I just love the fact that Joe's whole scheme is predicated on the fact that even though he is normally in his in his relationships, the aggressor, he's always the one that's sweet talking the women into doing whatever he wants. And Marilyn Monroe or Sugar Cane in her relationships in the past has always been the one that's being seduced. There's this role reversal that's going on. It's, I mean, it's engineered by Joe, but where she gets to be the one who's fully in power, the one who is, you know, he he tells her like, oh, I'm I'm so frigid. You know, I've just I've never been able to like. Women have just never been able to do it for me. I, I, I don't understand. So I've just resigned myself to a life alone. She's like, oh no, that's terrible. I can help you, and she just starts furiously making out with him over and over again anything yet anything yet well no I felt something that time you in know my thanks toes. so much for trying to help me <laughs> yeah. uh, oh it's so good doesn't he say what is the line it's something of like you've lit a flame within me which leads to her saying let's put another log on the fire what does yeah, he say something first? about like i feel like my feet are on fire or something oh like that. yeah 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 that's i think that's like that. what it I forget is the exact yeah line. Yeah, I mean, I think that the moment with Joe and and Sugar is, in my opinion, I think it's very funny. The fact that Joe has gone so far into this act that he's Mm -hmm. just like, nope, still nothing. Like, still (laughs) nothing. He plays it Um, so well. Which, like, I feel like in real life that wouldn't be possible uh, without, like, getting too explicit. I'm like, I don't, whatever. You know, but, um, you know, it's... It's fine. Um, but also, even though, it, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I think I love that both of these sequences are so funny, but in very different ways. But I, it, yeah, I just, the whole, the whole, I, I honestly think my favorite, se- like my favorite moments in this movie are the ones with Jerry and Osgood doing their mm-hmm. tango. I just, <laughs> yeah. assuming it's a tango. I think it's a tango, but I'm not a dance yeah, expert, I believe it's so a tango. I don't know. Um but that is just my absolute favorite moment mm. of the film. I think it's hilarious and it really is just kind of the the full representation of Jerry coming into his own as Daphne and like I don't really see him ever going back. Like, <laughs> Again, I think um, he's a little bit broken, a little bit He's, he's yeah. forever changed, you know. Well, it's his, like his brain chemistry has been altered by that night. It's like he's found this situation and this yeah, person broken, he's just changed. that is allowing him to be himself for the first like 
I, I think that he's probably always had this within him, but he's never been in a safe space where he's been able to really let it out. And now that he's got this person, which like, granted, like harassed him a lot <laughs> in the <laughs> beginning, but now that he's found this person where he feels like it's safe for him to be, you know, this version of himself or his true self or whichever one it is, like, I, I just... I don't see him ever going back. <laughs> um, but that's just yeah, my own opinion. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to like, you know, hard to say exactly where the where the characters are since we only see them toward toward the end, but it definitely does seem like there's there's something in Jerry that has been there since the beginning and really grows into it throughout the course of the film. And yeah. I just love how many times at the end, you know, he'll be like I'm I'm never going to find another man who's going to treat me the way Oscar has treated me. <laughs> well, yeah, I know it's so good. It's and so I good. also I also love the reversal of how in the beginning Joe is like you have to keep mm-hmm. telling yourself I'm a woman. I'm a right. woman. I'm mm-hmm. a woman. And then by the end he has to be very specifically telling himself like no, I'm a man. I'm a man. Yeah. I'm a man. <laughs> yeah. Because he just has gotten so like Mm-hmm. He's, he's gotten, gotten so it. lost in this reality he's like i don't even know anymore like mm-hmm. who do i need to be in this moment and who do i want to be and who am i and like like brother you know what brother sis whatever like whoever you want to be whoever you are like live it that's yeah. fine i mean i'm assuming they're all jetting off to like osbit's private island or or whatever he owns and you know, they're just gonna live the four be of them the way you want to be you know i feel like we've talked about this quite a bit with certain movies that we've discussed on this podcast, like they end and we just say, you know, I wonder where these relationships are going to go by the end. (laughs) And this is a movie where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the four of them could exist on an Island pretty contently for for a while. while. Mm -hmm. I think that it would get to a point where Joe and sugar kind of don't like each other anymore but sugar sticks around because she wants osgood's like money and (laughs) i feel like it would just become this platonic like they would be platonic lovers if that makes sense Mm -hmm. i don't even know how like i i I don't know i feel like they could last the four of them on an island for the rest of time but i think that sugar and joe would have more of a platonic relationship Whereas Daphne and Osgood, I feel like they're going strong. I you love know, how Tatum's I, like, they're in it for the long haul. <laughs> I genuinely think that they are. Like, yeah, I just I mean, love it. I, say? Could they're be. such a great combo. Could what be. else do they need? Like, they've got the money. They've got the love. They've got the compatibility. Mm-hmm. Like, if that yep. tango I mean, dance only doesn't obstacle. communicate chemistry, then I don't know what does. <laughs> their only obstacle, Osgood's mother got to convince her somehow. Uh, but, you know, yeah, once she's true. convinced, maybe she'll lend her <laughs> lend Daphne her wedding dress. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This movie. Um, anyway. All right. Where are we? So, yeah. The, um, oh, wait a minute. Yes. So, uh, something that I, I made a note of just adding to the ridiculousness of uh, Joe and Sugar's kind of experience on the boat. We, mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about how he gets on there and has no idea where anything is. Oh, he's yeah. like, oh, this door. Uh, no, never mind. This, uh, yes. not this door. He, like, opens a door and it's a closet and he's like, yes, as you can see, we have great storage facilities here on the boat. <laughs> and then my one of my favorite lines was when they were talking about, like, something about fish or whatever. And she's like, it's amazing how they can fit into these tiny little cans and joe's like yeah they shrink from the marinade <laughs> like, what are you talking yeah, about because it's like he sees this giant fish and he's like it's a herring like clearly because he has no idea what fish what a is. herring is 
Uh, oh, they goodness. shrink from the marinade. Oh mm. my gosh! They're it just is they're two so con good. artists playing each other, and that's why it it's is so, so great. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I specifically I didn't take a lot of notes watching this film because I was just enjoying it, and a lot of the things I knew I would remember anyway. But one of the things I wrote down because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget it was mm. they shrink from the marinade. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I can't forget to talk about this. So there it yeah. is. Can't forget it. I also wrote. Marilyn's perform uh, Mar- Mar- blah, blah, blah. I wrote mm-hmm. Marilyn's performance dress is provocative provocative AF. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that sums it up. Yep. Oh, also, I made it sorry, now I'm just looking at my notes for the first yeah, time. Right. Um, but I also made a note about like how this whole blood type O joke oh, is yeah, just a running, running gag throughout the whole movie that mm-hmm. is just whipped out whenever it needs it's to the be same type, type out. O. <laughs> Like so many people talk about being type O or knowing someone who's type O and each time the response is like, oh, wow, that really means something. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean what you like, what you're trying for it to mean, but that's fine. Oh my goodness. I'm just looking through my notes now, um, which I hadn't really been looking at before. And I had a note from back on the train sequence when um, Sugar first like goes into Jerry's bunk and it is like oh i better stay here until uh, everything dies down and i just wrote jerry is in horny agony <laughs> oh yeah i mean he's not hiding it at all nope. he's like oh boy i'm a doesn't he say that he's like i'm a boy i'm a boy i'm a boy <laughs> <to himself. laughs> yeah. oh man oh, it's one of those things where he's like yes please come closer oh wait no don't uh wait no but i want you to come closer yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. In a way, um, he should be thankful for the party because that would have, I mean, who knows I mean, where yeah, that would have gone. I mean, it probably would have gone gone south if, if things hadn't, yep. something hadn't intervened. Yep. All right. So back to where we were in the movie. Um, so the next day, <laughs> we find Jerry again has basically like lost his mind a little bit. And he's just like, he's now Daphne for good, basically. I mean, not for good. He's for accepted good, but... the proposal. They're going to get yep, married. They're going to get married. <laughs> I love when Joe is trying to talk him out of it. And he's like, you're not a girl. You're a guy. Why would a guy want to marry a guy? And Jerry's like, security. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh. And um, Jerry has this, uh, this diamond bracelet that Osgood has given him. And Joe's like, hey, wait a minute. Those are real diamonds. And Jerry's like, yeah, what do you think? Is my, fi- my fiance is a bum? <laughs> I love it. I love all oh, of it. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I mean, Jerry's just like full on on board with, with marrying Osgood. And Joe kind of has to talk him out of it a little bit. Um, I mean, it doesn't really take for good. But anyway, so I think after that is when we kind of things start to build to a head. So Spats Columbo, the gangster from Chicago, which, what a great name that is, Spats Columbo. <laughs> so good. Anyway, um, so he arrives at the hotel with all his goons, and there's apparently a convention for friends of Italian opera, which is going on, which is clearly just a, like, gangster convention that's happening in Florida, <laughs> in this exact hotel. Um, <clears throat> but, um, so Joe and Jerry, they see spats colombo and they're like oh no we're gonna get caught we have to get out of here um so some <laughs> some chasing ensues at one point they dress up as a bellboy and an old millionaire and then they go and run into the banquet <laughs> hall and hide under there's so the much in this like last whatever 15 20 mm-hmm. minutes however long it is there's so much of like 
oh boy, we're dressed as men. Now we're dressed as women. Now we're dressed they just as these like, back and forth. waiters. Now we're dressed as women again. Now we're dressed as like an old man in a wheelchair. Like it's just, yeah. it's outrageous. It really is. I love it. And all the while that this is happening, there's just like a, there's like a mini gangster movie about like the politics of gangster wars going on in the background where it's like Spats Columbo wants to take over little Bonaparte's territory, but little Bonaparte is sore at Spats Columbo for killing his old friend, Toothpick Charlie. And so they're, Little Bonaparte sets up a whole birthday party for Spats Colombo, but then it's actually an assassination and he rubs out Spats Colombo. Anyway, so like all of this stuff is happening and Jerry and Joe are just the sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this whole Scarface movie that's happening on the sidelines. I also love how they're running from different people. Like the first mm-hmm. time around, they're trying to hide from from um, Spats Colombo and all of his goons. And that's why they're changing back and forth. Front because they don't know them as women, but they know them as the men. And then the next time around, after Spats Columbo is killed, now they're running from different people, yeah. but they know them well, as is... the women, not as the men. So mm-hmm. like, okay, let's dress back into men. Yeah. Just, like, <laughs> it is so it. funny to me that it's like, oh no, we're on the run for Sp- from Spats Columbo, who knows our faces and want to kill us. And then it's like, oh no, Spats Columbo himself got rubbed out. So theoretically, we're safe. But oh no, nope. we're witnesses to that murder to that, too. So yes, now the exactly. even bigger gangster is after us. Yep. And yep. so what they do they have win. to do? They have to sprint in heels for so <laughs> yeah. long. And it's so yeah. funny. So but Jerry tells really Osgood, impressive. I want, I'm going to elope with you. Meet me by the pier. And they just... Book it down to the pier, dressed as women. Um, oh, uh, can't forget that in the middle of all that chaos, a nice little like kind of sweet and romantic scene where Marilyn Monroe or Sugar Cane, you know, having so okay, okay sorry, got to back, got to back up. So many important things to talk about. So when they're trying to escape, Joe is like, I can't just run out on Sugar. I need to actually break up with her. And so he he does he does this whole like over the telephone breakup with her posing as this millionaire being like, I have to go to South America and like marry this Venezuelan oil princess or something. And she's like, that's okay, funny considering it's shell oil. Yeah. I like the part where she's like, oh, you don't apologize. You've given me a great tip. Next tomorrow, I'm going to go out and put buy 50,000 shares of oil. <laughs> Don't do that, honey. Don't do it. <laughs> no. She doesn't have money to buy 50,000 shares. <laughs> oh, but um <clears throat> yeah, so and he like gives her the diamond bracelet, which Jerry's like, "That's my bracelet." And he's like, "No, it's our bracelet." <laughs> no. Anyway, um but yeah, so well then when they're trying to escape, um Joe hears Sugar singing "I'll never love again," you know she's all sad because she got broken up and he just goes in and he listens to her and then he walks up to her and kisses her and everyone's like josephine what are you doing yep but that i'm immediate pretty quickly sugar realizes what's going on and who he is and she starts pursuing him but there it's is, not very difficult to see that there's a, no, same <laughs> there's a slight resemblance yeah but it's just yeah it's just great like sort of transgressive scene of just this woman walking up and kissing this other woman and being like don't cry don't cry sugar no man is worth it but sugar also doesn't know at this point when she like chases after joe and goes to the dock i don't think she knows that joe isn't a millionaire at that point um so i'm like she's still running after this guy who is not technically who he says he is well no she has to know because she knows josephine is a saxophone player 
And oh, okay, I guess she knows yeah. Josephine has been playing in the band, so she w- she wouldn't be able to put it together oh, everything exactly. at that point. But she's got to yeah, know yeah. at least Josephine slash this millionaire has been lying to me is not who I thought they were. Right. But I don't care because I'm just so into saxophone players of whatever gender that I'm. I can't stop myself. And it just so happens that this one saxophone player that you're really into happens to have a connection to a millionaire with a yacht. So it's a win-win. <laughs> win-win. Anyway. She gets to, she gets to uh, what is it, like bake your cake and eat it too or Eat have your, ca- your cake and uh, eat it too? Yes, have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so they all pursued, exit pursued by Goon. They all pile into Osgood's little uh, speedboat and speed off to his yacht and... Joe tells Sugar the truth, and Sugar's like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. And so they kiss. And then, again, we have that incredible final scene where Jerry is like, Daphne, Jerry is like, I can't marry you. And he starts lifting, listing off all these excuses. He's Every like, I'm not a natural reason. blonde. I'm not going to fit your mother's wedding dress. I've lived with a saxophone player my whole life or, you know, for the last three years. And uh, well, I can is... never have children. And he's just like, it's all right. I forgive you. It's well, fine. What is, it's fine. What is Osgood's response to everything? Doesn't doesn't he say the same line every time? Isn't he like, what does he say? No, it's is different it, each care, time because he's like, okay. no, he's like, you know, I'm not a natural blonde. He's like, I don't care. And he's like, um. I, I have a terrible past. For the last three years, I've lived with a saxophone player. And he's like, I forgive you. And he's like, I could never have children. And Osgood's like, we can adopt some. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, he just has right. a response to everything. It's so great. And all the while, a huge, dumb smile on his face. <laughs> like, yeah, just like, not a care in the world. And then finally, yep. finally, Jerry takes off his wig and he's like, I'm a man. And Osgood's like, well, nobody's perfect. Nobody's <laughs> and perfect. The <laughs> and then just Jerry has such a stumped look on his face like, wait, what just happened? Yep. What does this mean for my future? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that's the movie. Yeah. So other things that you wanted to, other notes that you have or other things that you wanted to point out from the movie that we didn't talk about yet? I'm no, I mean, not really. I mean, because there's just, I mean, there's so many things, but we touched on a lot of the main ones. I mean, for me, I just love a lot of the physical humor of, you know, we're climbing down the side of the building and you're seeing mm-hmm. us as we climb down and you're catching us through the window and we're running into these rooms and disappearing yeah. and running out of a different Ooh. room and I wanted we're to running mention, there's in this sand. Really impressive scene where um uh it it Tony Curtis um playing the millionaire. I can't remember exactly what part it comes in, where but where he just like he just like parkours up the side of a building and it's like oh, yeah. it's all one unbroken shot. It's really Tony Curtis doing it and it's mm-hmm. very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, and also I think, uh, if I remember correctly, when, when Joe goes home that night and after he climbs up the the thing, don't Mm -hmm. Joe and Jerry both have this moment where they're both kind of like swooning in the bedroom where Joe's just like, oh my gosh, I had this great evening with, with sugar. And then Jerry's kind of like, I had this amazing evening. He proposed. (laughs) Like, I think they both have this brief moment of just like swooning over their evenings until Joe's like, wait, he proposed and you accepted it? What's going on? Um, but I like that. Yeah. Like, well, I love, there's that great line where Jerry's like, I'm getting married. And Joe's like, who's the lucky girl? And Jerry says, I am. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I just, I love, I love their dynamic and just how they go back and forth between just like, not back and forth, but you know, they're just, they're not friends to me. They're brothers and mm-hmm. their relationship just feels so sibling-esque 
because you know that they love each other and it comes through very clearly in certain moments because they explicitly act that way. But then there's other moments where they're just like peeved at each other. But Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, but it's because you guys care, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah, they get on each other's nerves so much, but they are ride or die for each other at the end of it. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's everything. I just have, you know, constant mental images in my brain of the two of them sprinting in their heels. I don't know why (laughs) that is so like just relentlessly funny to me. Um, mm. it's so funny to me, but yeah, it's just, it, it's just imprinted in my mind. I can't stop seeing it over <laughs> and over again. It's so funny. I, I think there's even a moment towards the end when they're doing their final sprint towards the boat, when they actually speed it up, like in the, <laughs> in the editing surprised. in post-production, like it literally looks like they sped it up. They're just, they're just running so fast. It's mm. great. Oh yeah. man. Man, I'm just going through my notes to see if there's anything else that I've I've missed. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so many, just so many little exchanges of dialogue that it's just, it's really hard to, like every line, every exchange in this movie is gold, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> it's a great moment that I caught this time around where Osgood mentions, like the first time he's trying to ask Jerry out on a date, he's like, He's talking to Joe on the phone. He's like, yeah, come to for onto my yacht for dinner. Tell I've got a new batch of Rudy Valley records, which I've only recently learned who Rudy Valley is. And he's this like crooner from the 30s. So that's like, you know, an older guy being like, oh, yeah, I've got a bunch of records from this guy who was popular 30 years ago. Mm. <laughs> like, how cool am I? Anyway. Um. Yeah, so do we want to move then into um, talking a little bit about the awards this movie won and the legacy and whatnot? Sure. All right. So, yes, as I mentioned, this movie was a big hit, um, and it received really great reviews. Uh, As of now, obviously, 65 years later, it's kind of hard to um, get really accurate readings on these sorts of things but metacritic has it at 98 which is a very high score rotten tomatoes has it at 98 94 percent positive Hmm. um at the time in terms of awards so it won the oscar for best black and white costume design and it was nominated for five other oscars so it was nominated for best director for billy wilder best actor for jack lemon best adapted screenplay best black and white cinematography and best black and white art direction which, man, I, I love the days when you would have separate categories for black and white costume design versus hmm. color costume design. Because <laughs> it really is an art form, you know, designing costumes and designing sets and, and um, art directing shots to, to look good in black and white. It really is a, um, a skill. Um, I pulled, so I pulled a ver- the Variety review for this movie from 1959. So I, I thought it had some, some really interesting points. So first, this quote says, uh, Some Like It Hot, directed in masterly style by Billy Wilder, is probably the funniest picture of recent memory. It's a wacky, clever, farcical comedy that starts off like a firecracker and keeps on throwing off lively sparks till the very end. Which I agree with. Yeah. And further on in the review, they talk about Marilyn Monroe specifically. They say, to coin a phrase, Marilyn has never looked better. Her performance as Sugar, a fuzzy blonde who likes saxophone players and men with glasses, has a deliciously naive quality. She's a comedienne with that combination of sex appeal and timing that just can't be beat. 
I would agree with that as well. And then our good old friend Roger Ebert had um, what I thought was a very insightful review of this movie from around the year 2000. So I pulled this quote, which says, Wilder's 1959 comedy is one of the enduring treasures of the movies, a film of inspiration and meticulous craft, a movie that's about nothing but sex and yet pretends it's about crime and greed. It is underwired with Wilder's cheerful cynicism so that no time is lost to soppiness and everyone behaves according to basic Darwinian drives. When sincere emotion strikes these characters, it blindsides them. Curtis, Tony Curtis, thinks he only wants sex. Marilyn Monroe thinks she wants only money. And they are as astonished as delighted to find that they want only each other. That was a... I highly disagree with everything he said in that review, but that's Oh, interesting. What do, you, what do you disagree with about it? All of it. I don't... I don't think it's a movie that's about nothing but sex and yet pretends it's about crime and greed. I think that's very wrong. I don't think it pretends to be about crime and greed at all. I think crime and greed is very like it's kind of just a framing device like that exists in order to create the story. But at the same time, I don't think the movie is only about sex either. Mm -hmm. I think it's I don't think it's really about sex at all. (laughs) I think it's about like friendships and and building relationships and just like trying to navigate your way through the world when you're down and out and doing whatever you can and like comedy that ensues I don't see it being about sex at all I also don't see this movie being cheerfully cynical (laughs) like I don't I don't think that everyone's behaving according to basic Darwinian drive like I don't (laughs) I don't think Curtis I don't think Curtis thinks he wants only sex I don't think Monroe thinks she wants only money and I don't think that they find that they only want each other <laughs> like what <laughs> I don't think this I don't think this review is wrong in the sense of like it's it's poorly written or he totally missed the point of the movie mm-hmm. it's just for me personally I'm like I don't this is yeah. did, did we not watch the same movie <laughs> like Do you disagree with the interpretation well I think I don't think it's about nothing but sex, but I think one of the things I love about this movie is about how much of it is about these sort of earthy human emotions and desires and how they drive people in different and really passionate and sometimes really unexpected ways. And I mean, so much of the movie, it's about it's about sex. It's also about gender and gender performance and sexual desire and sexual urges. And um, I think that's just a very... You know, it's a human, relatable, timeless motivation that I think is one of the reasons that the movie works so well. Um, I just feel like this review is primarily focused on Joe and Sugar, like their relationship and not really mentioning much about like or like reflecting much mm -hmm. about the arc of Jerry or the storyline of Osgood. It just feels very focused on the sex charged relationship of sugar and Joe, which well, I it's, don't, it's one part of the review. I, I only pulled a section of it. He does go on to talk about um, those things as well. Yeah. I just find it interesting that he thinks this is a movie that's about nothing but sex and yet pretends to be about crime and greed. I don't see that at all. But Well, well one thing that he talks about, which I thought was really interesting, is this idea of the, the contrast between the two relationships where the Curtis Monroe dynamic is sort of the more traditional romantic dynamic and then the Lemon-Joey Brown 
dynamic is kind of the more screwball um you know it's like you have your your the your the leads of your comedy and then the sort of um comedic characters who are sort of doubling and contrasting with them which i thought was an interesting paradigm to put onto it Mm -hmm. yeah anyway um yeah final thoughts how would you if if this movie for you is not all about sex how would you (laughs) sum it up so it's about friendship sounds like yeah, if I were describing this movie to anybody, I would not be like, okay, some like it hot. First of all, it's about sex. Like, no. <laughs> um, not at all to me. But um, some like it hot, Tatum. Some like it hot. I mean, yes, but also hot <laughs> can mean lots of things. Hot could mean like, oh, Jerry's hot now yes. that he's Daphne. Or like, there's lots of different ways to interpret hot in this movie. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I've said a lot of my favorite things. I mean, I think the fact that in the very beginning I said that there's an argument that could be made that this is the greatest comedy of all time. Like, (laughs) I don't know what more I can say beyond that. So I won't. I will just finish with that as my final thought. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we've I mean, we've talked about so much of this movie. It's hard to kind of pull out one thing or one reason that this is stuck with me because it's all just so of a piece it's just all so funny so well made so well performed so well written um so timeless so yeah yeah great movie geneva and i both love this movie (laughs) (laughs) i love it when we agree on things all right so would you like to tell our lovely audience which film we're going to be covering in the next episode yeah, uh, we're taking a, a huge tonal shift. <laughs> Nosedive uh, into the, the, the we, sad territory. We will be uh, depressed next week. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be great. I'm here for it. We haven't been depressed on this podcast yet, I don't think. So uh, let's let's do it. But anyway, we will be with <laughs> <laughs> next Horseman. week. Oh, man, yeah. Um, next week we'll, we will be discussing uh, a very important film for me uh, mm-hmm. called Million Dollar Baby from 2004, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring also Clint Eastwood, Hilary Swank, and Morgan Freeman. Uh, I don't think Geneva... Actually, no, I'm positive that Geneva has not seen this movie. I have never seen this movie, no. Um, I also know that Geneva does not like sports movies a lot of the time. I so, like, But well, also, I she hasn't I, I do seen like sports many movies. sports movies, so she can't... <laughs> that's my thing. I'm like, you okay, say you no, don't like them, but how I don't many like have you sports seen? Movies. It's that I don't care about sports. And so if a movie is primarily based around asking me to care about who wins a game, I'm not going to care. If the movie gets me to care about the characters and what motivates them and their struggle, then I will care. So we'll see how I feel about this movie. I, From my what I, I understand of this movie, it is not super about the sport itself. It's very much about the characters. I will say very quickly, and then we can let a sleeping dog lie because Geneva <laughs> and I have had this conversation many times in our friendship, mm-hmm. but liking sports is not about liking sports. It's about liking knowing how those sports impact the players and the strategy of the game and the experience of the emotional camaraderie. <laughs> like, it's not just like, Oh, I like basketball. Cause I like watching a ball go into a hoop. Like that's not, 
It's not how it works. And most <laughs> sports movies are not about a team winning a game. They're about mm-hmm. let's talk about the characters and why they love the sport and what the sport means to them. And um, anyway, so that that is my uh, my, my short uh, defense of mm-hmm. not defense because I don't feel like I need to defend. And I also don't feel like you're attacking. But that's yeah. just my yeah explanation of like liking sports it's not about liking sports did i ever tell you that because we've talked about friday night lights and how inexplicable it is that i've gotten really into friday night lights um when i'm not a sports person at all did i ever tell you that the the rewatch podcast that i've been watching alongside the show which i'm really enjoying by the way pretty decent rewatch podcast is literally called it's not only football and at the beginning of every episode the hosts all say this episode was not only about football. So what Fuck was it yeah. about for you? <laughs> Fuck yeah. I'm here for it. That yeah. That's going to be me next week with Million Dollar Baby and every single sports it's not movie only that boxing. I bring. That's going to be... It is boxing, right? Uh, yes. Okay, <laughs> that's going to be me for every single sports movie I bring on this podcast because I have several on my list because I love sports movies because they're not just about sports. Yeah. I mean, ah! throw them on. Honestly, I mean, I never really thought I was a war movie person, but some there are some war movies that are among my favorite movies. So I'm not averse to trying out the genre. I just, sports itself, the concept of sports tends to make my brain shut down. Mm-hmm. But I can, when I get into a movie, you know, if it's a good movie and it's compelling characters, then I'm going to like the movie. So I think that if you don't like this movie, which you honestly might not, I think that Our if you don't like, just <laughs> I think that if you don't like this movie, it's not going to be because of the sports aspect. It's going to mm. be because of how depressing it is and mm. how certain aspects of the storytelling are not necessarily the best. Um, so I, I do think that there's a chance you might not like this movie, but I don't think that it okay. will be because, it of, the be because of the sports. Okay, good um, to know. Yeah, to but, be quite honest. Um, I, you know, I have not seen this movie, watched this movie yet for next week's episode, so we will see what my reaction is. But I have never seen this movie, and I've always kind of avoided it just because I have that impression that it's kind of depressing in addition to being about sports. So It is one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen. <laughs> we um, will see. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, so good luck. If you need to call Thank me you. for emotional support you. when you finish it, give me a call. I understand. Oh, boy. Um, I remember the first time I watched this movie. Oh boy, that was a time. Anyway, next week we are talking about Million Dollar Baby, released in 2004. Stick around. Uh, I'm very much so looking forward to talking about it. It's a very special movie to me. So, the movie may yeah. not be a good time, but hopefully our episode will be. Oh yeah, we we always have a good time, don't mm-hmm. we? <laughs> don't know why I'm talking like this. Why are you? <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> okay <laughs> all right i think it's time to say goodbye <laughs> yeah we've been on enough tangents in this episode i feel like yes i feel like i mean you know you know you watch a movie like some like it hot and you can't help but feel a little get a little bit giddy by the end very true very true yeah all right well thanks so much for listening every listening everybody and until next time bye all right bye <laughs>for listening if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com our theme song was composed by joel rushton and our podcast graphic was designed by kara shin if you like this show and want to hear more please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform we're excited to have you on this journey with us until next time